Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and I just thank you, God, for your word. I ask now that you would help me as I uh, dive into this passage, that you'd help me, Lord, to say exactly what you would want me to say today, that I'm trusting in your spirit to be a part of this whole process, Lord, to guide and direct. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm close. I feel like I'm really close. Uh, I know there's been times when, as a teacher, I was re- getting ready to teach something, especially those first few years when I hadn't, I mean, it had been like years since I had studied some of those topics, and the first few years when I came back, I was like, okay, I remember I learned this in high school, and I remember I learned this in college, but it's been a while since I've talked about this. Um, hoping I've got it so you'd review and you make sure you have everything down. Um, I'm having a little bit of that feeling today. Like, I, I've been going round and round about this one little thought, and I'll tell you what it is in just a minute. I'm like, Lord, I... I think I got what you're saying, but just as soon as I feel like I've got it all figured out, it's kind of like my Thanksgiving dinner plate. As soon as you think you got everything you need on there, you realize there's still some sweet potato casserole that needs to go on, right? And then what happens? Some noodles fall off the side. It's a mess. That's what my brain feels like right now, okay? Now... To really grasp this, I know this, so uh, I'm, I'm going to treat today as more of a conversation with you guys. Are you guys all, all okay with that today? Um, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's three things that I believe you need to understand or try to grapple with in order, and so I, I think that as I give these things to you, you're going to feel the same, like, wow, this is getting to be a little bit much. Okay, so here's the first one. The first one is this, as I get into the passage. The, the salvation of the Israelites from Egypt... Now, you may remember this from two Sundays ago. The Israelites being freed from Egypt. Do you, know, you guys know that story? Right? Being freed from Egypt. Well, it was one of the first things that happened, like the plagues, right? And then as they're being led out of Egypt, what's one of the first things that happened? Oh. But before that, even before that, even before that, Yes, they cross the Red Sea, right? They, the Red Sea opens up. They cross the Red Sea. They get out there, like all those things. Um, when they're out there, right, the things that you guys mentioned, and then they get hungry and they're needing water. God provides water. There's something else that they're needing. What does God provide? Yeah, the manna, right, the food. Okay, so there's, there's something about that. And then eventually, after the years in the wilderness, they enter into the promised land. There's something about that story, aspects of it, that are a picture of what happens when an individual, now that was a nation, but when an individual comes to know Jesus Christ and is saved. And then that Christian life, okay? There's, there's aspects of that. Now, I'm not basing that on my own thoughts. I'm basing that actually on what Paul himself says. We're going to read that in just a minute. So keep that thought in mind. So there's helping number one on the plate, right? You getting that lodged on there? It's a big one, right? That's like the mashed potatoes with the noodles on top. Second, Israelite uh, idolatry, okay? You guys familiar with idolatry to some degree? What do you think of when you think of idolatry? You guys are all whispering, I can't hear any of you. <laughs> yes, idol worship, specifically what? Like golden calf, uh, I heard somebody, what? It, yeah, 
the little, yeah, the little, the little chubby guy, right? Um, you know, legs crossed. No comment about chubby guy. Okay. Um, yeah, right? It, we see it like a statue. I mean, think about uh, for the Israelites, the golden calf, but um, we know there was Baal worship. We know there was the Asherah poles. There were different things that they struggled with. Um, that Israelite idolatry, so we're taking this. This is the second helping on our plate. Israelite idolatry is basically the same thing as the Greek idolatry that they struggled with. What were some of the Greek gods that you may have heard of? Zeus. I almost put a picture of Zeus up here for you, like a statue, and I almost thought it would be funny to put a picture of my, my dog's name is Zeus. I thought it would be funny to put Zeus, and they have that up there. No, I didn't do that, though. A little ridiculous. Uh, uh, Zeus. What, what's another one? Anybody know any other Greek god names? Apollo. Apollo. Yeah, Poseidon, Aphrodite, right? There, there's a whole conglomeration of them, right? And then there's even the Roman names for some of those same gods. Like, for example, Zeus was also called Jupiter. That's where we get Jupiter. There is, uh, you know, I think it was Apollo was Mercury. I don't remember. There's, there's all, okay, big, huge number of them, okay? It's important to understand as we put this little tidbit into our brains that that Israelite idolatry, different names, names have changed, the same thing. And here's the, here's the most important part. That idolatry is the same thing we see today. And I'm not just talking about Buddha. Okay? You have to begin to, to grapple with this idea that idolatry is bigger because since the names keep changing... Maybe there's something behind that. Okay? The idolatry is bigger than just the statue. It's, there's something else at work here. Okay? And so keep that in. In fact, to help you with that, I'm going to give you a, an extended quote from Stephen Um. I've mentioned him several times. Uh, part of this quote I shared two weeks ago. I'm going to share the full thing today to try to enter into, right? Because we're filling our, our brains up with some thoughts here. Okay? Uh, Stephen Um says this. Um, he says, in this passage, talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we're at, going from verse 1 all the way to verse 22. Stephen says, in this passage, Paul outlines the history of humanity as a history of idolatry. Now, I'm pretty sure that not a single person in this room would say the history of humanity is also the history of idolatry. You probably never thought that before in your life. Okay? Now, I'm putting it up there, obviously, because there's some aspect of what he's saying that I agree with. Okay? So there's a plate, plate's got to fill up here. So maybe there's something about idolatry that's bigger than the statue that connects with how humanity... I mean, if it was the Israelites' problem, it was a Corinthian problem, and I'm suggesting to you that it might be our problem as well, maybe there's something going on there. Right? Okay? He says next, what is idolatry? In Romans 1.25, Paul argues that we will worship and serve either God or a created thing, namely idols. In other words, idols are anything more fundamental than God for our happiness, meaning, and identity. So they may have given it names, Baal, Asher, Zeus, Apollo. They may have given it some different names, but behind that there was something else at play. Okay? And what he's suggesting 
And what I'm suggesting, and what I think Paul is suggesting, is that idolatry is the reality that we are going to worship. We're creatures of worship. Worship literally means to bend the knee. Okay? We're creatures of worship. We're going to bend the knee to something. And it's either going to be the created, there's only two categories, created or creator, right? There's only one creator, and that's God himself. He goes on here, because he says, in other words, idols are anything more fundamental, so something that to you, more important than God, okay? They are inordinate desires for even good things, such as material possessions. Okay, you see where he's going now? Now, to help you illustrate this, this idea, now this is not an idol, so nobody freak out. Okay? This is actually something from, this is something of my dad's. I have no clue what it is. I, I picked this because uh, my, my, my dad, I think it was your dad found this in his field. I have no idea what it is. What, what do you guys think it is? Just a rock, but it's kind of weird looking rock, isn't it? Is it natural? Did somebody make it? Now, I, I picked this for this reason. There, there are some idols, um, even in Greek times, in some of those uh, Greek uh, temples, where they had actually had a meteorite, right? Something that had fallen from the sky, and that was enshrined in the temple. So they had the temple to Apollo, and there was this rock in there that they felt had some connection to that god, and that was there. And so here I have this, this weird-looking rock, okay? Because this is how those kinds of things happened. So just to help us picture in our minds, right? Okay, so this is going to be the representation of what an idol may have been. I mean, people could have found this hundreds of years ago. Man, that's a weird rock. This might be important. There might be something in this, okay? But it didn't fall over because it's heavy. Stephen Hume says, they're inordinate desires for even good things, such as material possessions. So for some, having stuff makes you happy. How about the next one there? A career. When career's going good, it brings you happiness. A family. Everything going well with family? Having family? It's really important. If it's taken away from you, you do about anything you can to try to get those things back. Marriage. See, these are good things in and of themselves, right? Achievement. Work. Independence. Some political cause. Financial security, human approval, romance. These, many of these things, not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but what Stephen Newman is starting to suggest is that when he says inordinate, that the desire for that thing starts to take a higher level of importance than just simply your desire for God himself. The created things that God has made are suddenly worth more to you than God himself. You see how this is going? Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling the way I am. Like, okay, I'm starting to get something here. Don't know if I quite have it yet. Is anybody feeling that way? Like, maybe getting a little bit of something. Don't know if I can grasp it yet. Okay, listen to a little bit more here. He says, all of these things are good in and of themselves, but what ends up happening for many people is that these created things become ultimate things. Okay? You may remember this quote from a couple weeks ago. And when this takes place, they become functional masters over desires and ultimately idols in a man's heart. Most believe that once their hearts are captured by these things, then finally their lives will be much happier. If I just had that, 
think that's one of the ways to begin to identify if you have an idol in your heart. If I just had that, if, the, if this would just happen, then I'd be happy. How might you fill that blank in? Some of you might actually be able to do that. Yeah, in fact, me just saying it, you may have had something pop in your head and go, I've actually thought that. If I just had, then I would be happy. So he goes on to say this, and this is why this is important. Um, when this takes place, become, uh, he says, so most people believe that once their hearts are captured by these things, and finally their lives will be much happier. So idolatry, where's the last slide here? Oh, no. Do I not have? It was before it. Did I get him out of order? Oh, why didn't you guys say something? So idolatry is always the reason people ever do anything wrong. In other words, it is the shaping power that is underneath human impulses, human behavior, and the motivational cause for why there's any desire to do anything. Okay, now. You barely, might just be barely getting it. First thing, Israelites, it's a picture of something. You start to see in that picture, idolatry, their idolatry, the Corinthian idolatry, potentially maybe our idolatry. Maybe you never thought of yourself as an idolater, but it, this pastor, this stand up here, is suggesting to you that maybe your desire for uh, life to be under control might actually be an idol. That your desire for your kids to be obedient might actually be an idol. That your desire for a better life financially might actually be an idol. Okay, so that's what I'm suggesting. And so here, this might be an issue you're facing. Maybe you didn't think about it that way, but there it is. There's a third thing to understand this. Let me get to my blank slide now. <clears throat> There's a third thing. And this third thing that I want you to look for and listen for is the word participation. Now, you're going to see this word participation in our passage. You're going to see it played out a couple of different ways. The specific word that, I'm going to, that you're going to see where it actually says participation, in some versions they translate it fellowship. It's, it's a word that goes back to this idea of commonness. It's koinia. Uh, the Greek language is called the uh, koinia. It's like the common Greek language. It's all based on that. We see the word fellowship. But it, it's, it's really a, a word that is bigger than just hanging out together fellowship. It's kind of like the idea of being a stakeholder. See, if you, if you buy into something, like if I could go back in time, and there's this company, Google. If I could, if I could buy into their stock, right? Now, before, now I, I would do it now because I know what's happening, right? But let's say I were to go back in time and say I didn't know that stuff. Somebody came to me and said, you want to buy into Google? I'm like, well, it sounds interesting. It's kind of a weird word. Never heard it before. But I can see that catching on. I've also heard of Yahoo, right? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll just wait and see what happens. Well, it's too late now <laughs> to make it big. But can you imagine if I would have done that way back at the beginning? Like, I'm buying in. That's the idea of a stakeholder, fellowship, participation. Buying in, becoming a stakeholder, a shareholder in something. So when you see this word participation, I want you to think shareholder or stakeholder. You're also going to see it played out in the words like all. All of them did this, all of them did that. Okay? So you got three things you're thinking about. Israelites, history, the picture of something else playing into our lives. Idolatry might be a thread that's running through all of those things. 
Thirdly, I'm looking for a participation. And I'm, I'm going to give you some hints. It's going to be a participation that you're participating with them in what they did. They're participating with you. And there might be some other aspects of participation that's going to play out. Okay? Now, phase two of my conversation with you today. I'm going to move through a passage of Scripture. I'm going to try to go quickly. Hopefully those three things are in your head, bouncing around in there. And as I go through, I think there's going to be some thoughts that begin to solidify. After I get through the passage of Scripture with a few comments, at the very end there's going to be a real big, interesting point. Okay? Are you ready for it? Do I need to pray again? Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, starting with verse 1, preached on two weeks ago. says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. You see the history playing in? Okay. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And so you start to see, like, what they were going through, Christ here, right? What we're going through, there's this, this connection over history, over eons of time. Similarity. That rock, that was really about Jesus. Nevertheless, bad word in this context. Nevertheless, even though they were all participating in a lot of the same things we're participating in, two weeks ago we talked about this, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. They were doing all the same types of things, but with most of them, God was not pleased. And we actually talked about what most of them literally meant for the children of Israel. Of the children of Israel that left out of Egypt, how many of them made it to the promised land? Two. So most, it's kind of a big word when you think about what most ended up meaning. With most of them, God was not pleased because of his displeasure in them, what happened? They were overthrown in the wilderness. Literally, they died before they made it to the promised land. Paul then goes on. Now, these things took place as examples. Okay, so now we're starting to, how this connects, right? This, this history, it's not just interesting Sunday school. Maybe you're, that was so interesting to learn about all those things when I was a kid in Sunday school. Maybe you're like, I didn't learn those things, but I'm, I'm getting bits of it now. But you're hearing, well, that's interesting history. But Paul says something else that took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. So here's a, here's a key clue. So the, what happened with them? We don't want to desire evil the way they did, because that's what led to God's displeasure. And then he throws it in there. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, referencing something that happened with the children of Israel. Does anybody remember what this was referencing? It's something I mentioned earlier. I just wanted to see if anybody remembers again. Yes, with a golden calf. The golden calf, which, right, Moses was up on the mountain getting the law. Children of Israel were down at the base of the mountain. They're, what's taking Moses so long? They take off all their earrings, all the gold they have. They melt it together. They, they, and Aaron actually says, he says, I put it in the fire. This cow came out, right? They get, that's, that's how he phrases it. And that's not how it happened. Um, and there's this golden calf. And, and when the golden calf is first there and they have it, and he presents it to the children of Israel, he says, children of Israel, this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. 
And he uses the word Lord, which if you look at the original, was the word Jehovah, the name of God himself. This is, this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. That's not, that's a cow. Why would they do that? Were they that dumb? What's going on there? Paul is clearly concerned that we might fall into the same trap. So don't jump to the conclusion that they were just really stupid. Maybe this is an example of them fashioning God the way they think he ought to be. You ever done that with God? He ought to be this way. He ought to be this way. Aren't we guilty of the same thing? Do you, do you see these connections tying through? Okay, I don't want to pre repreach what happened two weeks ago, so let me move quickly through this. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. That was with the Midianites. We must not put Christ to the test. Oop, there we go. Uh, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. That was literally, if you go back to see what that was referencing, literally them just saying, God, I think you did this to us, and, and I think it was for a bad reason. I think you wanted us to fall. Who's ever done that with God? These things you're working in my life, God, I think you did because you want to see me fail. That's putting Christ to the test. Nor grumble. Now, if you're trying to steer clear of all these, you're like, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. Okay, let's be honest now. This one hits us all smack between the eyes. Right? Nor grumble, some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And he comes back again, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. Second time he said this. But they were written down for our instruction so that we might learn something on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, and here's a big key point, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's the big warning. We did that two weeks ago. Be careful. You're walking through life. You're participating. You're, you're coming to church. You're taking communion. You're praying. You're reading your Bible. And you're, if you're walking through life and going, I've got this down now. I'm, I'm doing pretty good at this Christian thing. Paul says, be careful. If you think you stand, be careful so that you don't fall. Because they were doing all those things too. And yet with them, God was displeased. That's his point. But then he flips around, verse 13 from last week, and there's hope. Because that could be overwhelming. Like, oh my goodness, I, I thought I was standing. I thought I was doing pretty good. Oh no, right? But, but the confidence comes not from us, but right in the middle of this, I bolded it for you. Where's the confidence come? Because God is faithful. So what does he say next? He shifts. So it's like a, this, this seesaw, right? Oh, be careful, be careful, be careful. But there's, whew, oh, there's hope. God is faithful. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hope. Then he's going to switch back over to what he was talking about previously. See, that was right in the middle. He's going to come back. What are the three things? History. Happened. We're all connected through this. You're listening for participation. Idolatry might be a thread going through. Verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, Paul says next. I don't have it up there. I know that. Therefore, my beloved is what he's going to say. My beloved, therefore, because of all these things I just said, because of that, that's what I used to always hear. If you see the word therefore, you should always do what? Look to see what it's there for. And so that's why we had to go back and browse through this. Therefore, my beloved, he says, what should you do when you think about all these things? Flee. Run away. 
from idolatry. I speak as the sensible people judge for yourselves what I say. Hence, my thought this morning, let's have a conversation. Speaking to sensible people, I think. Judge what I'm saying here. These three ideas filtering through. Now, listen to what happens next here. He says next, verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. This shifts in my mind something about what we do here. The cup of blessing that we bless. They would usually bless this in in Jesus' day before he instituted this for us as Christians. Uh, The blessing that they would bless. We actually learned about this in one of our Sunday school classes with the, uh, what's the guy that was talking about? There's different cups that they do, right? What's his name? Oh, yes, that's right. But I was thinking of the video series that we watched, right? They talked about during the, the Passover, they would have several cups. And so when Jesus did that and he said, this is, this is my blood, it was actually usually, it was called the cup of blessing. And this is why Paul calls it this, because they would bless it. And one of the blessings that they would do from Jesus' time is say, blessed be you, Lord God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. And so can you just imagine me coming down here with this? And I'm going to do that right now because we're going to do this in just a minute. Jesus, now he had a a cup. I think we lose something. And if I could figure out a way to do this that was workable, I would find a way to do this because Jesus, he had a cup, one cup. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. We, we, We miss that part, don't we? We don't see it. It's already in the little individual cups. But, but don't forget that's some of the symbolism there. We pray a blessing, Lord, King of the universe. Lord, I pray that you bless this cup. Lord, I thank you that you've created the fruit of this vine for us to partake in today. You hear Jesus doing that? And then pouring out, maybe sharing the cup in each one of us individually. See, we live in the modern age and we go, I'm not sharing a cup with, but, but that's what they would have done potentially. Or poured, right, to see that poured out. Key, key important part. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Now, is this, is this cup mystical? Right? We talked about that in Sunday school with Zwingli, right? Is this, cup, is this still just grape juice? Now, Jesus would have used wine. We're not even using wine. We're just using grape. Is there anything magical about this? Like, if you take this, is it like, did something? Or some people believe it actually becomes the blood of Christ and it still tastes like grape juice, but does something happen? No. But we can't go all the way over to the other extreme and say it's nothing. Because Paul says here, is this not an outward demonstration of saying, I participate in Christ shedding his blood on the cross. I'm participating in that. I'm trusting in that. That he died on the cross for my sins. And so when you take this cup today, if you're not prepared to participate, to be a shareholder, I would recommend that you do not take it. How about this other one here? What's he say next? The bread that we break, once again, we lose something, right? Is, the bread's already broken in the cup, isn't it? What did Jesus say when he broke it? This is my body which is broken for you. You picture that? Jesus having that bread and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. And actually tearing or breaking that bread apart. 
Imagine them seeing that and then later knowing what Christ went through, the, the nails that pierced, the spear that pierced, the crown of thorns that very much you would look at Christ on the cross and say, he's been broken, torn apart as his blood was shed. Paul says, the bread that we break, is it not a what? Participation in the body of Christ. During Jesus' day, when they said it, this, they would say, this is the bread of affliction, is one of the things that they would say. But when Jesus did it, instead of saying, this is the bread of affliction, what did he say? This is my body. This is my body broken for you. The affliction. Do you see the connection? And so when we take this, what, it, what ought it to be? A participation. He goes on to say, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And this is why, uh, for early Christians, this and this is why, we, what do we call this now? Communion. Think about that word communion. Communing together. One body of Christ. See, this is, this is important, isn't it? Is this just something we do casually on Sunday? Oh yeah, pop, pop. Maybe it's become that for you. Should it be? You're saying when you take this, I want to be with the body of Christ and share in his afflictions on the cross. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to say, I want to share in Jesus' suffering on the cross? That's what you're saying when you grab this. Are you ready to do this later? Listen to what he says next. He, he throws in something I think might twist your brain around a little bit. He, he goes back to the children of Israel and he, he's going to mention how they used to go to the temple for the sacrifices. And he says this. He says, consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in that altar? So the children of Israel, they're, they're going to the sacrifice. They're, they're participating. They would actually participate in the, the food from those sacrifices. For the, for the Corinthians, these gods, this is why, okay, yeah, that meat. It's offered to the idols, nothing. Paul's talked about that before. But it's something different to go to that temple and participate in that and also participate in this. You see where he's headed? Listen to what he says next. He says, what do I imply then? You might be asking that right now. Paul, what are you implying? I feel like this is going somewhere. That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? He's already said it's not. There's, it's a rock. Is it anything? No. I don't know if you're ready for this next verse. Because this next verse is going to change how you view reality if you let it soak in. Okay? <clears throat> no. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to, what's that next word there? Demons. Now, I don't know what your thought process is about the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, but I'm going to tell you right now, Paul says there's, there's, there's some, now I can look at this rock. Now, if this was an actual idol, I could very much look at it and go, you're nothing. But to ignore it entirely I got to acknowledge there's, there could be something there. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's, there's something there. 
I mean, I can look at that demon and go, you're nothing compared to God. You are nothing. But there's something there. And that's what Paul addresses at this point. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. So what earlier in a previous chapter, we said, there's, there's, there's no gods but God. That is not to say that there's nothing at all there, at all, to reckon with. I do not want you to be participants. There's that word again, do you see it? Participants with demons. And then he says this statement here. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. Now, obviously not talking about just the actual physical act, but if you come here and you're taking this and you're, you're saying, I know what this means and I want to partake with Jesus. You can't do this and do that, right? You can't do it. You cannot do it. This is where I get to a point where I struggle getting all together, okay? So I'm, I'm going to make a suggestion. It's my understanding of what Paul's talking about. This is just rock. So if, if I go, this is an idol, that doesn't relate to us. But let's pick something else, right? Teenagers, you know what it is for a lot of teenagers? Popularity. For you, maybe it's just I want people to like me. Now, you guys might remember mine. Do you guys remember what mine is? It goes by a name, and his name is Jimmy Buffett. I'm going to tell you, behind the name Jimmy Buffett, my God is the God of, of ease. I, I'm, I'm, I want an easy life. My life is not easy all the time. Man, I really want it sometimes. Um, when I don't get my ease... Right? I start to respond the wrong way when, when this has become my God. You know what happens? That, that's let me know that that's become my God. When, when things don't go easy, I get mad. If you sin when you don't get what you want, I think that's one of the clearest signs that you don't have God as your God. You've got something else sitting there on that throne. Because if God is your God and you don't get what you want, you go, but God's in control. And I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Why would I be mad? Because God's in control. But see, if, if something doesn't go, so for me, ease, you know, go out. What was it a few weeks ago? Starting the car, it's not starting. Starting the van, the, the, the plumes, right? I, I think I did better. Do you think I did better? Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think in that moment, ease was my, I think God was my God. I was okay with it. It was tough. In the past years, I have dents on cars, not from them being wrecked, but when they didn't work and I hit them with something. Stupid car. What, that, nothing, where did that come from? What, what, that response was sinful. Where did that anger come from? Right here. Because my God wasn't God. My God was ease. And when I didn't get what I want, my God demanded, you must lash out. In some weird way in our heads, we think that's going to get us back. Right? My, my God of ease says, you must pay homage to me by kicking that car. You must pay homage to me by getting frustrated with all the people in your life that are not making it easy for you. 
You must pay homage to me by giving people the silent treatment because they have made your life challenging. See, this is life-changing because, because you start to realize, when you start to understand idolatry, you start to realize what Stephen Um was talking about at the beginning, that maybe these sinful actions, if I could just peel back the layers, I might realize that the real reason why I'm responding sinfully is not all these things I've painted them out to be, but because I actually, my real problem is, God's not God, this is. Some of you, it's not ease. Some of you, it is things like popularity or being liked. Some of you, it's, it's having stuff. Some of you, it's everybody getting in line in your life. Everybody would just do what they're supposed to do. Right? And people won't do what they're supposed to do. You know, some people, it's just to feel good. Just want to feel good. The worries go away. You know, the people that struggle with drug addiction and alcoholism, this is, this is right there. I just want to feel good. Now, Paul's suggested that behind this idol, there's something else, a presence. I think people get it right, and I've heard people say this, and I don't use this kind of, like, talk, I don't talk this way very often, but I've heard people that go to churches say, man, they're really struggling with the spirit of oppression. Have you ever heard that kind of talk before? Spirit of fear or a spirit. Of, I, think they're, I think they're on to something. Because I think behind this idol of ease, there is something else there. There's something that says, I don't want Matt for me. I'm using myself as an example. There's something that says, Matt, I do not want you to have God as God. I want this to be your God. And I'm going to begin to do what I can to get you to bow down at ease. And so that spirit, for me, sometimes it's a spirit of depression. Now, there, there, there's physiological things for so many aspects, but there's don't neglect the spiritual side. I think that's what Paul's pointing out. There is something there. There are powers at work that are trying to get you away from having God as God, and we ought not to ignore those things. And I want to give you one key reason why. I mean, you might be already formulated. I'll kind of, well, yeah, that, I did, okay, if to acknowledge that, there's, I need to take this into account because, you I mean, know, to fight away from that. But there, there's something else, I think, bigger, and this is where Paul goes next. Shall we provoke? You may not have thought about it. You may have just been thinking about it in terms of how it's impacting you. Well, man, I, I'm struggling with this idol in my heart and, and this, and man, it's really messed my life up. And we, we're thinking about all the ways it's impacting us. But Paul doesn't go there. He could. You know where he goes next? He says, I don't think you're thinking it through. Should you provoke? You know what it means to provoke? You guys know what that means? Provoke. I'm going to come over here and we'll provoke my wife. She's actually getting mad now. <laughs> Stop it, she says. Provoke, prod. That's a weak example of what is being displayed here with Paul. So something about partaking in this Christianity, taking the cup, taking the bread, 
professing belief. But Monday through Friday, working your fingers to the bone to get ease, control, happiness, everything else. Something about living a life like that. Oh, it's Sunday. I need to come back. Yes, Lord, I partake in all that you've done for me. Monday comes around. Hamster wheel, right? I got to get what I want. I got to get what I need. And I don't get, I'm mad, I'm frustrated. My life isn't playing out right. There's something, and then coming back Sunday. Paul says, you are provoking the Lord to jealousy. Now we hear jealousy and we think of the negative context, but there's something very right about certain elements of jealousy. In a husband-wife relationship, my wife ought to have a urgent sense of jealousy if I started spending time with hanging out with another woman. Correct? This is what this is talking about. Paul, let me share a couple of Old Testament passages. Exodus 34. The Lord says, For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, who, and we know this, right? Because we've talked about this. The Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Righteously so. Gloriously so. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He is the only one that deserves our allegiance and our obedience and our, the homage that we pay and the worship that we give. He's the only one that deserves it, not some idol. Nothing created deserves that level of obedience, of worship. Exodus 25, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He, he describes this, worshiping these like, this, like hate to God. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? I, I, I want to do something here. I want to do this. But I don't know about you, I feel a nervousness about this now. Is anybody else feeling that a little bit? Like, I, I better mean it. And I've, I've been bowing down to something else all week, and then I come around and do this. This suddenly seems way worse. I want to encourage you right now. Today's the day, right? Knock it down. I've been trying to get my life. There's only one God. There's only one being in all this universe that deserves all of your attention, all of your focus, all of your love, everything that you are for him. And you can begin by demonstrating them by saying, God, you can do whatever you want with my life. And I will worship you with my joy that I have you, because I know I do. If my life goes sour, so be it. I've got joy because God, you are my God. And I have you. What more could I possibly want? Should you provoke the Lord to jealousy? I'm not going to have you come up with music. Um, I want to soak in the silence of the room 
I haven't done this for a long time, but I'm actually going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to, I'm not going to have the guys come up and distribute. I'm going to do it. Okay, can you bear the silence of this room with me walking around? It's going to be tough. Your idol is going to want to stand back up right now. Because your idol is going to start to say to you right now, if you pay allegiance to this God, he might let, and then he's going to, they're going to start to fill in the blank, that this person you love might die. God, God lets people die. Did you know that? He might let you not get the things that you want. You just got, see, that idol is going to start saying that to you. Are you sure you really want to trust him? He. That's okay. You want to sit there and think about it. Because the participation of this is participation in life, yes, but also in the cross. In the pouring out of blood in a broken body of Christ. Jesus tells some of his followers that say, I'm ready to follow you. There's sometimes where he says, consider the cost. Count the cost. Because there is one. Unless you're willing to forsake all and come follow me, you can't be my disciple anyway. Some of you in this room right now have been bending the knee during the week and then coming to church on Sunday and taking it, because we've been doing this every single Sunday lately, haven't we? It's not mystical or magical, but you've been doing it. I partake in Jesus. I partake in Jesus. And maybe today's the day where you have to say, this has got to change, Lord. I repent. Cry out to him. And then I want to encourage you to do something. Don't, now, if you're sitting here going, I'm not, I don't know if I'm all in, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be the only one walking around. Everybody else is going to close your eyes. I'm the only one to see if you take it or not. No judgment on my part. If you've got some time you need to deal with God, I totally understand that. If I walk past, you may say, not at this moment, I'm not ready. It's okay. But don't hold back because you don't know if you can carry out. Okay? Some people get to that point. They think, okay, I, I, I want to be all in, but I, I don't know if I can... I, what, what, if I, what if I do this, but then later in the week I, I struggle with my idol again? That's okay. Right now, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Say, Lord, I want to partake in this. I'm going to do this. And I guarantee one of the, the most important things that's going to happen to you this week is then when the idol rears its ugly head, you're going to remember today and you're going to go, I do not want to do both. God, save me. There's no temptation that's taking me, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He's not going to let me be tempted beyond my ability. And somewhere in this temptation, I'm facing this trial, there's a way of escape that I might be able to endure it. But it starts with a day like today of you as a weak, fallible human being going, there is no way I can fight that thing. I'm going to, Lord, I'm going I'm to take. God, help me. Help me through the week. I'm going to take, just help me make it through the week, Lord, with only you as my God. Or come what may, help, just help me make it through the week. I'm going to pray a blessing. I'm going to walk around. encourage you to grab that cup. If you need to think about it, that's okay. But I encourage you to take it. When I, after I've passed it, I'm going to come back up here and I'm going to, 
I'm going to lead you through what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we're almost to in our study, where he repeats the words of the Lord. I know it's going to be quiet in here, and it's going to be difficult, but let that be a moment for you to deal with God. And say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to provoke you. I've been playing both sides, and that's horrendous. Lord, help me to be faithful, because you are faithful to me. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would bless this bread and bless this cup. Father, I ask, Lord, the way they used to. Lord, I, I pray that you would bless it. Pray this blessing upon it. And I, Lord, I pray that, Lord, your blessing on yourself, Lord, that, that the God, the King of the universe, like they would say, thank you for giving us these things. I thank you, Lord, for then giving them to us in this, what we think of as a ceremony, at that last supper that you had with your disciples. Thank you that it's been carried down. Lord, I pray that today would be one of the most meaningful days that we do this. Lord, maybe many of us have, have taken this uh, flippantly, uncaringly. Lord, we know this is still just bread and a little cup of grape juice. Lord, we know that. Lord, I ask that it would be meaningful in the depths of our being that we would participate in who you are today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.